The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. And welcome to it. It is uh, seven minutes after seven o'clock here on Monday. Hope you're ready to roll because we are. Skulls and uh, Stan are here, ready to take your calls. Look at that. Phone lines already open for your convenience and your questions. It is a live call-in show, of course, 416-870-6400. 416-870-6400 is the number. We're going to get to a ton of email on the show tonight in between your calls, and that would be help at employmentlawyer.ca. Any time to uh, send an email along. We'll see if we can get through the pile that we got going already. And the website, by the way, any time for you to use, it's like having a lawyer, an employment lawyer with you 24-7, free, anonymous, very cool, lots of information there, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. So there you go. But as mentioned, the phone line's open, ready to go. So bring it on, and let's get this sunny Monday happening. Stan, the man, what's going on with the week that was, pal? What do you got for me? So I wanted to start off our week by just uh, giving our listeners a little look behind some of the complexities, really behind what I think is a pretty simple question for mo- most people at least think it to be a simple question, which is, who is my employer? And, and, and the reason I bring this up is I recently uh, resolved a file of mine for a client that had worked for basically one guy. She, mainly, she was his receptionist or assistant uh, for 28 years. Well. So, so this owner uh, and the company that he ran, they were a huge retail location, and they marketed to the public because they invited people to the retail location, obviously. And so we're very well known. Uh, but when uh, eventually this owner decided to shut down, and he gave her only six months working notice, and that's it, nothing further. So when she came to me, you know, she said the name, and I was well aware of the name because, as I said, they're very uh, well-known. They market a lot on newspaper and TV. Uh, but when we actually sat down and looked at her situation, John, what we realized is that this one well-known company, in, which used a business name to market itself to the public, mm-hmm. was actually comprised of 11 different corporate entities that played various roles in, the very, in a kind of complex corporate web. So, and what I mean by that is that throughout the 28 years, it, it turned, you know, there were several companies that paid her on her pay stubs. Uh, there were several other companies that showed up on her T4. Mm-hmm. And her having been, been the owner's assistant and uh, receptionist, she was aware of a lot of the dealings that the other employees weren't. And so she knew that there were a couple of other companies that owned things like assets. And some of them had own, ownership of the, and registration of licenses. So we kind of looked at all this and figured, well, who the hell is actually her employer in this situation? And what we ended up doing is we just ended up, frankly, taking litigation action against all the companies. Because on paper, we can figure out, you know, we, we can certainly point to some and say, yes, they are for sure her employers. But our biggest concern was that with this uh, complex corporate web, the owner might decide to just start moving money around. And all of a sudden, XYZ company that we thought was their employer because they're the ones who have the, the are showing up on our T4, are, we, it turns out, maybe have no money because they don't hold the assets. It's actually ABC company that holds the assets. Jeez. Right. So, as you can imagine, it got a little ugly, and we had to take uh, action against all of them, and we sued every one of those companies. And because we sued all those companies, John, 
uh, it, I think actually ended up leading to a much quicker resolution because of that, because the owner realized that there was nothing he can do to avoid liability at that point. I mean, the whole point of this corporate scheme really was to figure out a way to avoid this exact liability. And when we sued them all and what we alleged was that they were all common or related employers and that they were all technically her employer. And that's one of the things that I want listeners to take away from this case, John, is that you can actually be employed by more than one company. You can be employed by 11 companies, as this case shows. And it's never as simple as it sounds, or certainly not always as simple as it sounds, to figure out who is it that actually owes you money. I'm uh, I'm assuming that if she's a I don't know what age she is but a 28 year employee she'd be looking at uh, 24 months probably severance anyway if they didn't give her anything other than that six months notice so maybe a year and a half on top of that no yes she was in her late 50s and certainly that's what we ended up claiming for uh, we sued them all for 24 months uh, of course the settlement is confidential as you know how these things go uh, yep. but she was certainly happy with the outcome. Wow, good stuff. The number, by the way, to call in and ask your questions. It could be just something simple get an answer to. Uh, 416-870-6400. That is the number to call in for the remainder of the show. It is uh, 712 on Monday evening. By the way, you want to reach out to Stan any other time. Help at employmentlawyer.ca is the email address he can use. And 1-855-821-5900 is a good place to start as far as the phone number. When we're not here on the air, I want to move down to the first email of the uh, the evening, pal. This one from Tony says, uh, guys, I was recently told that my company is being sold. I have not been offered work with the new owners as of yet, and I'm not sure what to do or if I can expect anything. What are my rights? What do I do? Yeah, so this is one of those situations that I was just talking about, which is, yeah. you, know, you got to figure out who is the actual employer at this point and who is the person who's liable to this employee. So in this particular instance, because he ha- they haven't been offered any employment with the new owners, technically speaking, they're being terminated by the old company. And I'm sure the old company is going to look at the new owners and say, you know, tell them to uh, offer employment, but that's not up for the old company to decide, of course. And if there is no job offer, then just like anybody else, they're sitting there as a terminated employee entitled to severance, and the company that owes it to them is the seller. So the seller owes them severance in that case. If they are eventually offered a job and it's not uh, quite up to snuff, not what they left when the uh, company was sold, and uh, they get severance in that case, who pays in that situation? Because I know sometimes, depending on the situation, the new buyer plays or sometimes the seller pays. How how do you break that down? Well, it it really comes down to what kind of sale it was. Because when you break it all down, there's really two types of sales that you can have. There's either what we call a share purchase or an asset purchase. Uh, With the share purchase, the new owners are coming in and buying the shares of the old company. If you can think of it, you know, thinking of it on a macro scale, if you work for a company like Walmart and their shares are being bought and sold every day, and literally there's a new owners technically. Everybody who owns a piece of Walmart is an owner of Walmart. Right. So, you know, in that situation, your entitlement in the company doesn't change. You know, you continue to work for Walmart and the owners may change, but the company, the corporate entity, does not. Now, in the second scenario, when you have an asset purchase, that's the opposite of what a share purchase is, which is literally you're not buying the shares of the old company. 
you are only buying the assets, whether it's physical assets, whether it's accounts receivables and clients, whatever, et cetera. Uh, but ultimately, you are forming your new company and a new corporate entity. And in that type of scenario, legally speaking, there is always a termination that happens. Uh, oh. The seller is all, there's always a termination from the seller to the buyer. Now, oftentimes what the seller and buyer will do is come to an agreement that the buyer will take on your, your employment and usually also inherit your years of service. Now, they can also come to an agreement that that's not what's happening. And in fact, the seller may still be liable to you for some severance in that situation, depending on what the new employment looks like. Uh, and, and, and sometimes in third scenarios, there is no agreement at all. And the new owners didn't even give it any thought to the situation whatsoever. They just saw an employee who had worked for the old company and knew what they were doing and said, hey, well, why don't you come work for us? We'll give you the same amount of money, same benefits you had. Certainly, you know, the person under those circumstances doesn't think any differently. It's the same job to them. And they go work there. And, you know, I have a case right now where that's exactly what happened. And then two, three months into it, it wasn't working out. And the, sell- and the buyers decided to cut ties with the employee. And they wanted to treat that employee as a two- or three-month employee. And in that scenario, you, oh. the buyer, I'm certainly that's our argument, is that the buyer implicitly as well as explicitly recognize the years of service with the seller so that they're liable for all the severance involved. You want to ask Stan a question. I know it sounds complex, but they can break it down. Sometimes you'll be scratching your head, and it's easy for him to answer. So uh, so bring it on, 416-870-6400. David, thanks for standing by for a moment. How are you tonight? Not bad. How are you doing? Good, brother. What's uh, what's on your mind? So uh, my employer is asking me to to provide a criminal background check so he can supply it to one of his customers. And I'm just wondering whether I have to do that or – What's the what's the recourse for not supplying it? So, sorry, your your employer is asking you specifically to go and do a criminal background check, even though you already worked there. Yes, uh, he's he's asking all the employees to do it. Yeah, technically speaking, one of the grounds uh, of discrimination prohibited by the Human Rights Code is our criminal convictions. So, if they're asking you for a criminal backgrounds check, that's arguably a violation of your human rights. There are certain situations where it's okay uh, for a company to do that, specifically situations where you would understand the need for it. You know, uh, often in daycare situations, an employer can absolutely ask for a criminal background check. But outside yeah. of some obvious need, that's probably discriminatory. But, uh, it, it, I mean, it's for uh, a school board, so it, mm. it's, I think I, yeah, I think it's kind of necessary, but it's just one of those things. I don't, want, I don't feel that I should have to provide it. So, well, certainly if they are saying you have to do this as part of your job, then they have to pay for it. It's like if they want you to do some sort of training certification or go on some sort of training on a Saturday, of course they have to pay not only for the certification but for your time. That's you being at work. And every hour you spend at work, you should be compensated for it. So if I don't want to provide it, what are the legal recourses? Like, can I be fired? or? When you say you don't want to provide, is it that you don't want to pay for it? Is it that you just refuse to give it to them? No, I just refuse to give it to them. Like, if they... depend on whether it's uh, discriminatory for them to ask you for it. You know, if, if you're talking about a situation where a school board is involved, 
and they can show a, a substantive need and why it's not unduly um, harsh on you to go and get that, then, yeah, you, there may be circumstances when you need to provide. Probably need some more information if you want to call us outside of the show next uh, sometime this week. I'd be happy to discuss it with you. Dave, appreciate your time. That was uh, that was a really cool call. We've never had that before, so do reach out to Stan uh, at another time. I'll give you that number. You can write it down and keep it uh, for this time and other times if you do, if you so need. one 821 5900 is that number. Email is help at employmentlawyer.ca. And your phone calls, bring them on. Lots more, lots more time, lots of room. Come on in. Water's warm. 416-870-6400. Employment Law Show on Global News Radio. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. And hey, welcome back indeed. It is uh, 722, and thank you for joining us. The number to call and uh, get your questions right here, right now, 416 870 It's uh, 723. got lots of time till we get out of here around uh, 10 to 8. The email address we use, of course, every show is help at employmentlawyer.ca. And uh, with that, we'll, we'll carry on. Howard, thanks for standing by. How are you? Good, thanks. Good, sir. Go ahead. I was just wondering, uh, I was laid off in March because of the COVID situation. I've been uh, collecting EI uh, benefits ever since. Uh, they are calling me back, but they are reducing my hours from 40 to 30 hours a week. I was just wondering if they can do that or if I have a complaint about it or you could help me out on that. Yeah. Well, thank you for your question, Howard. And I'm sorry to hear uh, about the layoff from before the reduction of hours. I mean, technically speaking, any time the company is doing something like this, reducing your hours, you know, reducing your compensation, especially by such a large portion, that's a pretty clear constructive dismissal. And it gives you the right to to not accept that and to tell the company that either you will take your 40 hours as you've always agreed to work or that you're going to treat it as a termination and then go fight for your severance. Okay. So basically, if they told me, like today's Monday, they told me to come in to work the rest of this week, uh, I can tell them really I either want my 40 hours or I don't want to come back? Uh, you can, Absolutely. That's what I'm saying. They're not allowed to reduce your hours unilaterally in this way. Okay. I guess that kind of answers my question then. Uh, I don't think I have anything else to ask. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Howard. Appreciate your time. If you do think of something else, you want to get a hold of Stan and have a uh, more of a lengthy private discussion, no problem at all. 1-855-821-5900. 1-855-821-5900 is the, uh, the way to go. Email is help at employmentlawyer.ca. Don, you're, uh, you're up next. Good evening. Sure, hey, sure. Don. Hi. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Please do. Okay. Uh, I was employed by a U.S.-based company to develop their existing markets in Canada. I worked mm-hmm. for this company for over 12 years and developed new markets and expanded their sales. And I did extremely well in this company uh, for all these years. Uh, my immediate boss saw success in what I'm doing and what was going on. And he set up a parallel company and he wanted to divert the business that I was bringing to his company rather than the company that I was employed and they said they'll pay me in cash. Uh, I refused to do that, 
And then I went through a lot of harassment. They began cutting my territories. I get reduced to our, my councils were taken, my, my, my area was reduced. And um, end of the day, they got a chance. They fired me for a reason, uh, without any reason. And um, they didn't pay me a cent insurance pay and took away all my benefits and all the expansion and everything what I did. So I didn't get a pay, paid even a cent for all my work and even for the business that I did. Okay. Well, I, I mean, that sounds awful. I, I'm sorry to hear that. Uh, I, I, without question, this company owes you severance. Uh, you worked here in this province for and so many years. It doesn't matter if it's a U.S.-based company. If you work in Ontario, you are very, very likely covered by the Employment Standards Act, unless there's very few exceptions to that. And under that case, you are entitled to a severance. Uh, they, they told me that um, you're not going to get, no one gets severance of the company because when you signed the agreement with us, you signed it up as you're an independent contractor. Hmm. Yeah. Well, that's, a, again, one of those things that companies try to do to avoid liabilities at this time, they call people contractors when they fully w will know that these people are employees. So that's why, you know, if we, in, whether it was in court or whether you're talking about from a CRA tax perspective, the, they're not just going to accept whatever the company or, in fact, even you agreed to call yourself. At, at the end of the day, what the, the courts are going to do are they're going to look at in several factors, and based on those factors and the facts as you apply to them, they will determine whether you were, in fact, a true independent contractor or if you were just masquerading as a contractor and are just an employee and are therefore entitled to severance. So, you know, certainly I think you should give us a call this week. Uh, give me a call in the office tomorrow. I'm happy to, give you, uh, to talk to you more about this, and we can figure out what we can do for you. What is the number I should call you on? I'll give it to you right now, Don. If you grab a pen, the number to get a hold of Stan and the member of the team at the firm is uh, is real simple. It's one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. Again, one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. And the email address to reach out is help at employmentlawyer.ca. A couple interesting points there uh, that Don brought up. Number one, uh, if you're working for an American company, even if they're not aware for of it, and you're working in Canada, Ontario, Ontario laws do apply, not the American laws. Uh, I know they try to get away with that. And number two, just calling yourself or them calling you an independent contractor is just not enough to make it so. It's substance over form, right? So you can go on like that for 25 years thinking you're uh, an independent contractor. But when push comes to shove and Stan has a closer look at your agreement and how you've been working, you may very well be an employee. And uh, like you said, that makes all the difference when it comes to severance, which you wouldn't normally get, and CRA, which are going to have an absolute uh, heyday if you haven't been paying taxes correctly for the last 15 years, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it can get even more complicated than that. In the scenario of 25 years, you can actually start off as an independent contractor to turn into what we call a dependent contractor and end up being an employee. And, and they can happen anywhere along those 25-year spectrum. So it's always, you know, so much of law, and this is so important to remember, is that the facts are what are important. Yes, we have legal principles, but at the end of the day, courts decide things based on the facts in front of them. And that's exactly what applies when it comes to whether you're a contractor or an employee. It doesn't matter what you call yourself. It's all about the facts. 
And again, 416-870-6400 to, uh, to bring, uh, call us right here right now with your questions. Now, you did mention dependent con- dependent contractor in there as kind of the go-between between independent and employee. Would that be someone who relies on a certain percentage of their income, say 50 to 70, from one uh, particular client? Would that qualify or partly qualify for what you refer to as a dependent contractor? Well, that's, that's ex- exactly the idea behind it, John, that it's a person right. who's so financially dependent and also right. so exclusive to one potential customer uh, that they essentially are not truly in business for themselves. Uh, and at the end of the day, when they are terminated, if they are found to be dependent contractors, they are more akin to employees than they are akin to corporations in that situation. And so that's why they would get severance, just like any employee in Gotcha. 416-870-6400. You know the number. Tony, thanks for uh, thanks for hanging on. Thanks for calling in. How are you? Yeah, great. Thank you for taking my call. I got a question. You bet. Uh, yep. uh, I, I started this company about uh, a month and a half ago, and I heard it with the employer about overtime. The guy said, yeah, we pay overtime. So they pay the 1st and the 15th and the 15th to the 30th. Like, pretty well, twice a month. So I got my uh, first day, I think it was 60 and uh, three quarter hours. And I called her up and said, hey, where's the overtime? She told me on the phone that I have to work 133 hours just to get overtime. Sorry, there's a lot of feedback there, but I didn't catch a lot of that question. Uh, you get the gist? It was about overtime and that's the fact that they didn't pay him overtime. Mm. Yeah, well, yeah, so I mean, I checked this company out. They're non federal. They're like an express thing, right? Right. And uh, they have a very late. And I asked them to go to the U.S. They say, no, they go to Montreal, no, no direct local, buy the punch hmm. card, right? Uh, yeah. So I say, okay, well, and it was 44 hours. So I went up to the labor board. I checked their hours. Okay, 48, great, whatever, right? So then. When I got my right. paycheck back, or worked my overtime, and she's telling me I worked 133 hours. No, I mean, the, the, the rule is always in Ontario that if you work more than 44 hours in any given week, then for every hour after 44, you are entitled to time and a half or overtime. There are some exceptions to the overtime rule. Uh, for example, managers don't get it. Pool cleaners, for whatever reason, don't get it. I know. Uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, but generally speaking, and then there's also if you're a driver, like a, a, a truck driver, then you also the the time overtime rule doesn't kick in until 50 or 55 hours, depending on whether you're city or uh, or drive on highway. Right. But at the end of the day, I mean, if you are if you don't fall into one of those classes of exemptions, and you work more than 44 hours in a week, you should be getting time and a half for every hour before uh, over 44. And when and I heard Tony mention the fact that there's also uh, 48 hours. So the 48 hours, what that is, is that that's the limit that any employee can work in Ontario. An employer can have you sign a waiver whereby you agree to work more than 48 hours in a week. But unless they sign that waiver, technically speaking, right. no employee can be forced to do so against their will. We'll move on here. 416-870-6400. Avi, thanks for uh, thanks for standing by. Good evening. How are you, pal? Hi, hello, Stan. Thank you for taking my call. 
Uh, I have a question about the curve, and um, if you if you applied for it and you got it, uh, but it turns out in the end that you weren't you you it, you didn't deserve to get it. What happens? Well, you know, that's a great question, Avi, because uh, I think the government's still figuring that one out. You know, we've heard, uh, in, at least on paper, what they said is they're going to audit everyone who's been collecting the curve. But then uh, some of the news that I've read certainly suggests that that's not entirely the government's intention. So, you know, right now, it's hard to say what's going to happen next year. It's hard to say. <laughs> I think that's true not only when it comes to the CERB, but in all facets of life. That's okay, good. Thank you. That, that was yeah, that was it. Thank you very much. Thank Thanks, Avi. Appreciate that. Enjoy the rest of your evening. 416-870-6400 is the number. Caroline, hello. Good evening. Hi. I Hi. have a question with I have a question with regard to your online severance calculator. Sure. I'm just curious because I, I went on to the Ontario.ca uh, Employment Standards Act. And mm -hmm. in it, there's a sentence that says the maximum amount of severance pay required to be paid under the ESA is 26 weeks. Yep. Right. So uh, the ESA will only tell you what your minimum entitlements are under the Act. Unless you have a contract that limits your entitlements to those minimums, then you're entitled to what we call common law damages. So when you go to the severance calculator, and see a number that's, I'm sure, significantly more than what you're seeing with respect to the ESA, that's where your damages are derived from, from this body of law just called the common law. Uh, and, and one of the confusing things, unfortunately, in employment law is that severance is both an interchangeable term and it means something very specific. So in one instance, when we say it means something very specific, it means that under the Act, if an employer has a payroll of over $2.5 million, and you, if you've been there for more than five years, then you qualify under the Act for what's called severance pay. Uh, but then we also often use it, uh, the word severance to, to talk about common law damages. When we say severance, we, you know, we talk about, we mean the same thing as when we say notice or pay in lieu of notice. And I, I feel that that creates a lot of confusion around what this term means, unfortunately. But what you're seeing in the Act, those are not your only rights. Those are your rights, but not your only rights. You have greater entitlements than that, and that's why we've created the severance pay calculator, because so many people, frankly, were calling the Ministry of Labor and saying, hey, I worked there for this many years. What am I entitled to? Oh, only five weeks. I thought I'd get a lot more. I've been there for, you know, for five years. Oh, only, only 10, eight weeks. I've been there for 28 years. How can that be? Well, the reason is that the Ministry of Labor will only tell you what your rights are when it comes to the Employment Standards Act. They're, the people who answer those phones, they're not lawyers. They're not allowed to talk to you about what your legal rights are. And that's what the severance pay, pay calculator is for and, frankly, what our firm is for. Right. Have you found that during this COVID time that the um, severance packages have been compensating for covid you know, unpredictability? You know, it, it's hard to say. I haven't found that certainly companies have been overly generous because of COVID and the difficulties that employees are having. Uh, but it's also hard to say how this will play in court because 
Uh, the flip side to an employee saying we can't find work is an employer saying we only let them go because of an emergency pandemic that hit the entire world. Mm -hmm. And because there's no case that's come to court to discuss this issue, it's very hard to know how a court will decide to interpret that and whether that will mean more notice for employees or potentially less notice and severance for employees. Mm -hmm. Okay. Just All right. Okay, that's great. Thank you so much. Thanks, Caroline. Appreciate that. It's, uh, worth noting as well that uh, you know your your uh, your common law rights, uh, as you as you refer to them, stand uh, are not put on hold. They are not on temporary layoff. You may be because of COVID, but your rights are not. They're still full and uh, robust, and they're to uh, to protect you during these times. Adam, you're up next. Hi, pal. How are you? Good. Good. How are you guys? Good, man. What's uh, what's on your mind? Um, so basically, uh, our parent company kind of merged with uh, our company. Um, I'm not really sure how, mm -hmm. how to phrase the business term, but basically, our policies with our parent company and our company were being merged. So they were taking taking the best of both worlds in terms of the most uh, economical cost. So that did actually affect uh, our end of the company. So we did say we used to have like full uh, group benefit coverage. Now we have 80 to 90 percent coverage. Mm -hmm. uh, and more recently, since uh, we did have the option to work from home even before the pandemic, and our manager was pretty lenient. Uh, our manager left, and it was our new manager was from the parent company, uh, and they have the policy that they've always worked in the office. And with the pandemic changes from the government allowing companies to reopen, uh, they're kind of forcing us to be back minimum three days a week at work. So mm -hmm. I'm uh, we did. We had an understanding with our previous manager that we were about to work from home, and now we don't have that anymore. So I'm trying to see what are my options. Do I have to accept this uh, force back to work three days a week? Or well, so the question uh, from kind of becomes like whether the agreement I understand you had with the old company, whether that be was became a term of your employment with your company. And so what I mean by that is I've had employees and clients who, uh, you know, for seven years straight or something like that, have worked from home four days a week. And then the employer comes to them and says, we're no longer going to let you do this anymore. you got to come in five days a week now. Well, that, because it's so crystallized, it's, and, you know, it's very clear that this was important to the employee, that, that work from home option becomes a fundamental term of the contract, of the relationship between the parties. And just like any other fundamental term, the party wants to change it, they either have to get your agreement or they have to pay you something. Uh, and if they and if they want to change it in this instance and you don't agree, again, assuming it's a fundamental term of the relationship, which may or may not have occurred at this point, that could be a constructive dismissal. Okay. Uh, yeah, because uh, like the way my work arrangement and home arrangement was set up was based on my ability to work at home. But now that's being drastically changed for from, you know, one day or no days a week coming to the office. Yeah. Because it's, 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 yeah. it's, it's, and, and one way to approach this, in fact, is if you can show uh, some sort of familial responsibilities like daycare obligations, child care obligations, uh, or some sort of medical issue that requires you for, to work from home, if you get a doctor's note from your doctor confirming that, then they then there's human rights implications. So they actually may have a legal obligation to accommodate you and allow you to work from home in that situation. 
Okay. Uh, yeah, they, uh, I'm living the bachelor life, so, and I don't have uh-huh. any problems. So I don't think those apply to me in terms of the human rights, but it's more of the uh, kind of business or employment uh, yeah, yeah. kind of uh, infringement that I, that I see. But I, I'm trying to figure out, because we had precedent, but there was nothing really in writing. I just had an understanding with my previous manager. So I'm just trying to figure out what could I use to kind of uh, let mm-hmm. my manager know this is how, what the scenario is. With nothing really in place, we could have had like a few chat messages saying, "Hey, I'm going to be home this week" or something like that. But like, what could I use as actual tangible evidence to show that this this was my situation before and this is what it is now? Because my manager was actually uh, not based in Canada; it was based based in the U.S. So we've actually never met. But uh, so like, I'm just trying to figure out what, what what could I use as tangible evidence to make my case. Well, I mean. Every case, the most important evidence is oral evidence. Your evidence is exactly the evidence that you're going to use. Uh, because regardless of whether it's written or down or not, similar to you know how we were talking about contractors versus employees at the end, earlier, it doesn't matter what's written down. It matters what how the p- parties have conducted themselves. And so if you can say under oath at the end of the day that, hey, I work from home, four days a week, three days a week for five years straight. That's your evidence. Yeah. Yeah. Jeremy, I want to get you in here. Uh, if you could make it uh, a quick one, we'll, uh, we'll get through your call. How are you? Good. Very well. How are you gentlemen? Good. What's Good. going on? Uh, is it possible to uh, release an employee under their, while they're in a three month probation period and they're on a medical leave? Uh, ooh, that gets very tricky. Uh, I mean, it is it is theory, in theory possible as long as you can show that their termination has absolutely nothing to do with the medical. Like if they're if your company if they happen to be on medical leave and your company loses money to the point where you have to eliminate their job, that will likely be fine. It was more of the character of the employee um, receiving falsified doctor's notes. Um, not being updated as to a medical condition and what's happening, and then says, "Oh, I'm ready to come back to work now." Right. We've actually had to go out and hire a replacement because it's a, a landscape right. construction business, and we have such a short window of time to get the work done. And yeah. so it's going to pull a point where the employee doesn't fit in with the family atmosphere of the business, and we kind of want to rotate that employee out but we also don't want we want to do it fairly yeah well you have to be really careful because you know it's certainly there even if it's not the case that employee is likely going to think that you're terminating them because of the leave of absence uh and you brought up some really touchy you know some very sensitive issues like you mentioned uh forged medical notes you know that's a really touchy subject as you can imagine because you you need to have some really substantive evidence if you come to that conclusion if you have the evidence that proves that conclusion it doesn't matter that guy's lying to you he's not even on a medical leave of absence it's a fake leave of absence uh but you know unless you have something really that shows that it's a it's a very very sensitive situation I, i would strongly suggest you give us a call this week talk to a lawyer at my firm and we can help walk you through it and decide on the best course of action here. 
That's going to be all we have for time. Chris and Josh, please call this number. You both had good uh, good questions for tonight. Unless you want to hang on to Wednesday, we'll be back here. If not, you can call us, uh, Stan, and use this number uh, for both of you. one 821 5900 Use that. one 821 5900 Email is help at employmentlawyer.ca and always go to pocketemploymentlawyer.ca as well. Tons of information there. We're going to be back at it, as I mentioned, Wednesday night. And don't miss the TV show on Saturday and Sunday mornings as well. Don't go anywhere. Coming right back. On Point, Alex Pearson is up next right here Global News Radio. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto.